All right, so now where we've left off, we've finished the Gospels, we've finished the whole book of Acts, we kind of stopped and did some of the letters that he wrote during the book of Acts, and we're done with Acts, but the story still continues. So I'm going to pick up and give you a little backstory before we jump into the letter to the church at Colossa today, which is our letter to Colossians. Uh, but there's some backstory, and the way that we get the backstory is that we look at Paul's letters, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and we can kind of put together the picture of what's happening. When we left at the end of Acts, where was Paul? Please, get to, He was in Rome. We got, got one person that said Rome. But where specifically in Rome was he? What facility? Well, Italy, the country. Thanks, Rick. But what facility was he in? He was under house arrest in an apartment that he was having to pay for. Like literally there are security soldiers that are handcuffed to him 24-7 in his own apartment house arrest. Now he could have people come and visit him and minister to him and he could, obviously he shared the gospel with every prisoner that was attached to him. Can you imagine what that would have been like? But they were all talking about him. But now let's get some some backfill to to what actually is happening. This church in Colossae, the church in Colossae is having problems. Get this, some of the members are not getting along with each other. Some of the, I called them members, there was no membership, but some of the believers in the church, they weren't getting along with each other, and they were kind of mistreating each other. Uh, Still worse, there were false teachers that were coming in, and they were mixing a little bit of what Paul had taught them originally versus the Jewish legalism that comes along with that. They were subverting this gospel of grace that we talk about every week in here. They're, interest, they're introducing this really bizarre form of Jewish legalism mixed with this counterfeit spirituality that they're having to deal with. And they're teaching the Colossians the following. In order to experience God's fullness, you must observe the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. It's called old for a reason. You must observe special holy days and eat only clean foods. You must also be circumcised. And union with God was evidenced by mystical visions and angelic visitations. Whatever you handled, tasted, or touched can either help or harm your union with God. And if you handle, touch, or taste that which is unclean, you will lose your union with God and will never experience his fullness. Come on. I mean, you guys have like probably experienced that here in your own life, right? If you do certain things, then you're not going to... You could go to hell or you could just be separated from God. You've probably heard that, right? The false teaching has also now like spread to the church at Laodicea. So I'm going to give you a lot of information right here, but we're going to start with Paul. Paul's the guy that, that is the main character here. 
but he has this fellow cohort. His name is Epaphras, the founder of the Colossian and Laodicean churches. And he's, he's really troubled by this spiritual assault that they're dealing with in Colossa. So he sells to Rome to get advice from Paul. And at the same time, go ahead and click through that uh, next slide so we get his name up there because uh, Epaphras is really the one that like started the church at Colossae. It wasn't Paul. Paul never was there. He never made it to Colossae. It was, Epaphras was one of his own disciples. And that, so at the same time this is going on, I'm going to introduce to you another character named Onesimus who had a slave named Philemon. Or excuse me, Philemon was, had a slave named Onesimus. Get that backwards. Uh, and he runs away from Philemon. Onesimus runs away from Philemon, but he doesn't run away empty-handed. He runs away and he, he's literally taking money from Philemon. Uh, and in those times, this was a capital offense. Epaphras finds Onesimus, this runaway slave, and he takes him to Rome with him, believing that Paul can help him. So now they're on their way to Rome. Onesimus, at the time, the slave, is not a Christian. He's not a Christian, and he remembers that Paul is a very kind man and believes that he really can help him. So on his way to Rome to visit Paul, Epaphras, who is also called Epaphroditus, if you look in your scripture, you're going to see both of those names there, Epaphras, he stops at Philippi, which is also another church there in the area, and I'll show you that here on a map in just a second. The church at Philippi was always the one to encourage Paul in all of his missionary journeys. They would collect funds for him. In fact, that's what they were doing at this time. They were collecting another fund for Paul to give to Epaphras to take to Paul and to encourage him, to sustain him. That's the fourth time this church in Philippi has collected a fund for Paul and given it to him. So Epaphras and Onesimus continue toward Rome, but Epaphras becomes deathly ill on the way. Even though he's sick, he still makes the journey, and they persist on to Rome for the sake of the Lord. And Onesimus has this message sent to the church in Philippi, letting them know that Epaphras' sickness has occurred, and he's really just asking them, can you guys pray for him? I know what you do for Paul, how you encourage him. Can you do the same for Epaphras? So Onesimus, who's not a believer, is asking believers to pray for his friend that he's traveling with. You get this? So when Epaphras arrives in Rome, he hands Paul this financial gift, and he informs Paul of the love that the Philippians have for him. And of course, Paul knows that, and this is just an encouraging act of of giftedness that he receives from them. And he kind of updates them on their progress as a church. But not only that, he also tells them about what's going on at the church at Colossae. And remember I said at Colossae, they're starting to fight with each other, they're having problems. So along with the good news comes the bad news to Paul, who's in prison and really can't do anything about it. Epaphras joyfully tells them about the Colossian believers and not only the conflict that they have for one another, but also the love that they have for one another. Sounds like family, right? Uh, but he also gives Paul a full report on the churches at Laodicea and Ephesus and all those churches that he stopped with 
on the way there. He, he also lets them know that there, here's uh, two other characters that we're going to introduce to you. Archippus, who is the son of Philemon, and Aphia is deeply discouraged. Archippus was kind of the pastor of the area. Even though he was the son of Philemon, he was the pastor of the area, and he somewhat came depressed, disappointed with the behavior of the believers there in that area. And so he let him know about what was going on there. So upon hearing all this news from these men, Paul struggles in prayer for the church at Colossae. He's praying for them, as well as the churches in Laodicea and Philippi. He's doing everything that he can possibly. And Onesimus is with Epaphras, and Paul literally leads Onesimus to Jesus. Onesimus becomes a believer. That's, that's important. That's important information. He turns out to be a real servant for Paul, loving Paul, taking care of Paul, and Paul really grows to depend on Onesimus, the slave of Philemon who was once in trouble. When the church in Philippi gets word that Epaphras is sick, they write Paul's letter inquiring that uh, they want to know what his health is. Paul, tell us how Epaphras is doing because he's important to us. So now Paul literally sits down and he pins three different letters. He pins a letter to the church at Colossae. He pins a letter to Philemon, who was the slave owner of Onesimus. And then he also writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. He writes all these letters at the same time, and he instructs Tychicus, who's also in the area in Rome, to encourage the churches and to give them an update on his own prison situation. Tychicus, go, here's these letters, update them. I'm good, I'm here, I'm telling the good news to the guards and anybody else who crosses my path. And so now Onesimus, he's going to return to Colossae with Tychicus, and they're going to deliver all three letters. The letter to Colossae, the letter to Philemon, and the letter to Ephesians. Now, let me show you on a map what that looks like. This is, uh, this is the map of the whole area. Obviously, in the bottom right, you can see Israel, Jerusalem is down the bottom right. Uh, hopefully, you know that. And then, Rick, up in the top left is Italy, if you can't see this map. Uh, and then you've got Rome there inside of Italy. And they're going to jump across... And then you see the land area at the very top in the middle. I believe it says Neapolis at the top. That's actually where the church at Philippi was. And then they come down the coast along that water line where you see all the different names. And on the west side of that land is Ephesus. It's it's right there. It's a harbor there, a city uh, on the water. And if you go 100 miles east of that, you're going to see Colossae. And maybe 10, 15 miles before you get to Colossae is going to be Laodicea. So these are all the churches that not necessarily Paul started, but he dealt with 
in beginning, he was at Ephesus, obviously. He was at Philippi, obviously, but he was not at Colossa. So now you kind of have an idea. Someday, I'm going to do a trip and hit all those churches. Maybe like a cruise and organize a group. So just be praying about that. But that would be a Paul experience. So now, let's get into the letter at Colossa that he writes. Uh, this letter that he's writing to them, think about this for a second. Do the heavenly bodies have influence over our lives? Uh, millions of people will consult uh, astrology. In fact, you know, I don't, I don't know how many newspapers are still around, but at one point... There were like 1,700 newspapers and 1,200 of them or sort would, would post astrology stuff in there. The whole data. So do the heavenly bodies have an influence on our lives? Is there, is there any relationship between dieting and our spiritual living here today? Does God speak to us immediately in our minds or only through his word, the Bible? Do Eastern religions have something to offer the evangelical Christian? Those are all questions that Paul was dealing with in 61 AD. And yet today, in 2022, we deal with the same stuff. So to say that the Bible is irrelevant to us, absolutely not. Yeah, he wrote this specifically to the church at Colossa. But I can look at it today and go, yeah, this is the same stuff that we're dealing with here today. They're contemporary questions and issues, and he gives biblical answers. It was a whole combination of Eastern philosophy and Jewish legalism that was tied together that they were teaching with elements that, of the Bible, and they labeled that as what we call Gnosticism. The term comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know, agnostic, you don't know. And the Gnostics were people who were in the know, and they had this spiritual aristocracy in the church. They thought that they knew everything. And they began to teach something a little bit different than what Paul was teaching the the thing that's interesting as Paul writes his letters is the emphasis that he wrote to the church in Ephesians. He wrote about the body of Christ. But here in this letter right here in Colossians, the whole emphasis is on Christ as the head of the body. That's important. I'm the pastor, director, whatever, but... I'm not the leader of this organization. Yeah, I do administrative stuff and everything else, but if you're not seeing Jesus as the leader of this thing, you're in trouble. If you see me as the leader of this thing, you're in trouble. Jesus is the head of this group of people right here. That's it, not me. Uh, 
the thing that I greatly appreciate about Paul is not much different than today. They're dealing with different agendas. And I get tossed agendas all the time. All the time. I'm getting ready to take 50 plus people to camp, youth student camp, and I'm going to have agendas at camp. And the one thing that I keep saying is this. I have one agenda in here. One agenda, and I'm sticking to that agenda, and that agenda is Jesus. No, no, no other agenda. I'm not doing, not doing politics. I'm not doing anything else like that. It's like Jesus, because I, I, I'm call me foolish enough, I, or trusting enough that I mean, it's probably the trust factor that the Spirit is going to deal with the agenda rather than ourselves dealing with the agenda. Like, what we know, this is important, what we know and what we believe greatly impacts what we do. If you're letting social media, social networks, the news, your feelings, emotions impact what you do, you're in trouble. You're greatly you you you're just wafting in the wind. But when I take what I know, which is this, and I believe it, I believe it with all my heart, it greatly impacts what I do. I I don't try to plan out what I do. I just trust what I do. If I try to plan out what I do, then it really becomes works. It it still works if I let the Spirit do it, but it's not me doing it, it's Him doing it. And there's a big difference. So in this place, and in these circles, we will continue to teach Jesus. Solely Jesus. Verse 1 of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. I love it. An apostle is one who experienced Jesus. We all know that Paul didn't really hang out with Jesus, but on the road to Damascus, they did have this experience. Jesus appeared to him, downloaded the whole ministry to Paul, and therefore he's always been considered an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it was by God's will. And Timothy, our brother, uh, in this letter, Paul later mentions that he's actually the writer of the letter. He's, He's not saying that Timothy wrote this letter with him. But I think what he's doing here, he's giving Timothy some kind of spiritual authority, not that Timothy is ranked higher than anybody, but just giving him some credibility that Timothy is my guy and we're here together and we believe the same thing. And he says, verse 2, to the saints in Christ... Just as just as Matt was talking up here, you have to know, you have to know that you are a saint. It's not anything that somebody does to you or blesses you with or anything like that. It's like you became a saint the moment that you believed in Jesus Christ because he did it for you. And so Paul, throughout the scripture, calls the believers of Jesus Christ saints, holy, redeemed, and righteous. He keeps reminding them and reminding them and reminding them of who they are. You're a saint. 
I know what you do behavior-wise. I, I get it. But you're a saint. You're holy. He says, <clears throat> grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then he goes into this, <clears throat> excuse me, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth. And the truth, if it's the truth, it can be trusted. I trust this. The gospel, that's the good news, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You heard it from the very first day from Epaphras. You heard the truth. You heard the good news. Jesus Christ came. He died on a cross. He was buried. He rose again. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and now he sent this Holy Spirit, this, this paraclete, this, this servant, this helper to live inside of you. You're a saint. You're holy. There's a God that's living inside of you, and He just says, Let me do this for you. Let me live your life for you. That's the good news, my friends. That's the good news. It's not that I believe in Jesus as my Savior, and I'm gotten this insurance that I'm going to heaven and someday I'm going to get there and it's going to be really cool. It's like I can live it out right now with the holy living God inside of me every day. I can walk today and enjoy this. I mean, you think about what he's saying right here. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. All over the world, you look, the way people shelter is different, the way people eat is different, what you eat, the way people uh, process thoughts, the way people are educated. All over the world, it's different. But if there's one thing that is the same all over the world, it's God's grace. It's God's grace. That's it. Grace has been made available, it says, to the whole world. Verse 7, it says, You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. You realize in that Thanksgiving paragraph that he just wrote there how thankful I am and what you've learned, he mentioned faith, he mentioned hope, and he mentioned love. And he says right there, and he told us about your love in the Spirit. The greatest of these is love. When you think about where Paul is when he's writing this letter, he's in prison. Yeah, it's his apartment. But he's handcuffed. He's there for two years. He can't go anywhere. But just think about the joy that he's lit and the thanksgiving that he's expressing in the midst of his own circumstances. Verse 9, it says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. I mean, what else is Paul supposed to do? He can't really go anywhere. 
He's like, so all I can do is pray for you. And you think that that may be insignificant, but it's not. During quarantine, pandemic, we weren't allowed to go to hospitals and stuff like that, and rarely were you. But all we could do is pray for you. We couldn't go. It's important. That's what Paul's saying. It's like, I'm praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled. You're already complete. You're complete in Christ with the knowledge of his will. I say this all the time in here. The knowledge of what is God's will. Everybody wishes they knew what God's will is for their life. Well, let me tell you what God's will is for your life right here. You ready? Write this down. God's will for your life right here is the same that it is for me. It's for you to walk by his spirit. That's God's will for your life. Now, how that plays out, what that looks like, you know, the calling that he has on all this is different. But God's will for your life is for you to walk by his spirit. You know what that means? Give up. Give up doing it in your own strength. And let the Lord do it through you. Oh, trust me, you'll be busy. You'll be called on. You'll be sought out. Right, Ed Gallagher? Dude dude sits back there, and he's come to know Jesus, and it's like, you wouldn't believe the people that come to his table all the time. He's like, what is going on? It's like, because you love Jesus. And that's what happens. If you just walk by the Spirit, people are going to come to you all the time. We were at the Fisher's Police Awards Banquet, and I was talking to Matt Simmons last night, and he was talking about how he's ready to retire. He's like 48 years old, but he's always like in pursuit of these people and chasing people as a cop, and he's like, he's just getting old for it. He's like, the young guys, they sit in the cars, and you know they're going out and look for it, and, and they ask him what the difference is, and he goes, I just sit there, think like a criminal would think, and wait for it. And then I go to it. And that's kind of the way it is with the Spirit. You kind of sit there and wait for it, and then you're gonna, it's going to come to you, and you go. You go. It's just what we call obedience. It's the same thing. It says, <clears throat> with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding... Where does wisdom and spiritual understanding come from? Look up. Don't look at me. Look up. Look a little higher. But all wisdom and spiritual understanding comes from God. How do you get that? Well, through the Spirit. Just ask Him. That's what Solomon did. Is what we do is we ask Him for wisdom. He's the giver of wisdom. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Oh, here we go. This is where the legalism uh, people jump in right here. So that we may walk worthy of the Lord. Like you have to work at being, work at your walk so that you're worthy. No, 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 no. Let me read that again to you. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord. If you are doing God's will and you're growing in his knowledge and spiritual understanding, you will walk worthy. That's just the natural reaction that you get when you figure this thing out 
and you choose to walk by the Spirit, you will walk worthy. It says, fully pleasing to Him. So we understand from this Spirit that lives inside of us, He speaks to me, He speaks to me all the time. Yeah, I'm weird. He speaks to me, He speaks to you. You just have to recognize it. I can read his word and I can understand his word because he's inside of me and he helps me interpret it. We understand from the spirit and then we walk. Then we walk. It's all a natural byproduct. It all flows together. But if I sit there and I'm told, oh, I'm a believer and I have to do this and I have to walk this way and walk this way, it ain't going to work because I'm doing it in my own strength. It's not going to work. It's just like going back to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. That's what they did. He says, pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. You can see where legalism would turn that and say, this is what you have to do. You have to bear fruit. If you want to be a good person, you have to bear fruit. I don't, it's not me that bears the fruit. It's the Spirit that's in me. The fruit, of the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle self-control. I'm not responsible for that. He's responsible for that in me. It's his job in me. I can rest. Sabbath rest. Oh, there's so much right here. It says, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Again, if it's my might, you're in trouble. If it's his might, look out. According to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints inheritance in the light. The moment, the moment that you believed in Jesus, you were given everything that you will ever need. The moment you believe, I was eight years old and I didn't know what I had. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I prayed that prayer. And I had no idea what I had, but I've been spending the rest of my life figuring it out. I'm still figuring it out. I don't have to keep updating it. I already have everything. You have it all right now. I, I have a smartphone. It's called a smartphone for a reason. It doesn't make me smart. It doesn't make me smart. But w- what if I only use this for calling people? What, what if that's all I knew? I, I, well, I can call Rick, I can call Rick and talk to Rick. That, but the smartphone never gets used. Hello? Do you realize what you have? And I'm not talking about your phone. Until you get in there and you say, Lord, give me wisdom, give me spiritual understanding, and you read the scripture and you spend time with people and you focus on the things of Jesus rather than the things of this world instead of your smartphone all of a sudden you realize what you have and you spend the rest of your life figuring it out. I can spend the rest of my life figuring this thing out. 
I don't use this nearly to the capacity that I've paid for it. There's no way, and you know I use this a lot. There's a lot more in here that I have not figured out yet. The cool thing with Jesus is I don't have to update it. I don't have to get a new one. I got everything that I need. It's right here with me. You've been given this powerful, powerful gift that produces all these things that we've mentioned. You just have to use the gift. Who, who unwraps a Christmas present and just lets it sit? Really? You've been given the greatest gift of all time. The Spirit of God living inside of you. Verse 13, he says, He's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus didn't rescue us from this bondage to have us just wander around aimlessly. He gave us the forgiveness of sins, as Matt was talking about early. He freed us and gave us the Spirit to follow. And then the last thing we touch on right here is these passages where he talks about Jesus. It says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. Not talking about time-wise, but the importance, the rank of who he is. Firstborn over all creation. He's the greatest. For everything was created by him, by Jesus in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. This is why people never come to Jesus is because they can't see the invisible. They can only trust the visible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You know, for centuries, the Greek philosophers have taught that everything needed a primary cause an instrumental cause, and a final cause. When it comes to creation, Jesus Christ is the primary cause. He planned it. He's the instrumental cause. He produced it. And he's the final cause because he did it for his own pleasure. Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. The church had its origin in him, and today it operates in him. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Phil, let me answer your text. He's like, what needs to be reconciled in heaven? There's things that need to be reconciled in heaven? Well, according to Scripture, Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. There's an accuser that sits in heaven and makes an 
makes accusations about you as brethren. And someday, he's going to be booted out of there. Even while he sits there and is your accuser, I have a heavenly father and a savior that's sitting there and the savior speaking to the father saying, Rusty's righteous. We made him righteous. He's holy. He's redeemed. Forget what the accuser's saying about him. All that's going to come to an end. It will be reconciled. It says, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in evil actions, you were all born from the seed of Adam. You were all evil. You, your, your nature was evil. That's who you were. All right? Watch. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to, be, to present you holy, faultless and blameless before him you once were had this sinful nature you no longer have this sinful nature he's taken that away he's made you blameless he's made you holy he's made you a new creation he's forgiven you he's done all these things jesus did it you didn't do it It says if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. I'm writing to you, church at Colossae, if you guys don't get your act together, it's because you can't figure out what you already have. Quit going back to your flesh and the patterns of your flesh and realize the transformation that's taken place and incurred in your life. This is who you are now. This is who you are. You're a new creation because Jesus made you that pay, made you that way. Paul will remind you <laughs> over and over and over. I love to be affirmed about what we do inside this ministry by reading the scripture and seeing we're no different than what Paul's doing. He's told them the truth. They get all this garbage fed to them from the outside. It gets mixed up with them. They begin arguing and fighting, and he keeps coming back and saying, oh, just remember who you are. Remember your identity. We know that you're constantly being told something different, but just remember, you have been made holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Know the truth and believe it. Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for uh, just Paul's life, gosh. Just the fact that uh, he's dealing with the same garbage that we're dealing with today and that we can hear your word and trust it, believe it. May uh, the words that were spoken here today not be my words, but your words. May you speak to the hearts of those that are sitting here. May you cause them to believe in you and what they've been given so they can walk with their heads held high and be a light to this world. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.